When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects and stories you're talking about in football. I'm in Regari, and with me, as always, I'm glad to say, is uh, the man who's from Dundee, uh, where, of course, one of the phrases they use is, uh, you'll have had your tea, and, uh, but beware of cheap imitations, because Duncan is the real deal. Uh, today, we will be bringing you, as usual, all the latest and exclusive news on what's going on as the transfer window draws to a close in the next few days. Duncan, we're going to start uh, with a story which, I mean, we thought when Leo Messi left Barcelona that that would be the biggest and most surprising story of the window. However, uh, as we have reported in recent weeks, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is unhappy at Juventus. Juventus are unhappy with Cristiano Ronaldo's wages. Kylian Mbappé is unhappy with the president and with uh, Paris Saint-Germain about a gentleman's agreement he believes he had to leave. And now we have other factors as well. Can you update us, please, on uh, the latest state of play regarding the Portugal captain and indeed uh, France's finest striker of this moment? Yeah, let's let's start with Kylian Mbappe because, I mean, I don't think this is a surprise. It's something we flagged up as far back as September 2020 on this podcast that Mbappe would tell Paris Saint-Germain, you have an option this summer, um, let me go, uh, let me be transferred to another club and earn some money, um, as was our agreement when I arrived at this club, or I will leave on a free transfer in a year's time. Um, we've told you all along that Real Madrid uh, coveted him beyond all other players. Florentino Perez has built his transfer market strategy around securing him, has been gathering cash to enable that to happen. And we told you in the last podcast that the expectation was they would make a bid um, in this final week to test um, PSG's response. That bid came in, I am told, by sources involved in the deal on Monday night. The offer is 160 million euros, which um, is significantly more than than uh, I and I think other people monitoring this expected, given that he has just one year left in the contract, given that circumstance and uh, the setup that he's presented to Qatar, which is let me go or lose me for nothing um, under freedom of contract when I sign a pre-contract um, in four months' time. And, and that's something that's been emphasized to me as 
as to why this offer was made in this fashion. One element Real Madrid wanted um, to achieve was to be respectful, to to show courtesy and to show um, respect to the status of Qatar uh, and PSG in the game by presenting an offer that was more than market value essentially on under those circumstances and one also that the that PSG would have to take seriously it's not easy for them now to say in response to this offer to Mbappe well Madrid are trying to do this on the cheap um, we don't have enough time um, you're going to have to stay because they're messing us around the idea from Madrid is this is a reasonable amount a more than reasonable amount put the pressure put the ball into PSG's court as they explained it to make a decision um, and to resolve the situation another thing Madrid want to do is they want to receive formal permission from PSG before they talk directly to Mbappe about the contract. So they want this done in in a proper legal fashion in, in, in football terms, something that doesn't happen very often these days. Well, their their position is that they're Real Madrid and they 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 want to behave in a dignified manner. Um, whether you believe that position or not is a, is a is a different matter. But that's the the stance they're taking on this move. And of course, we have to factor in here that Qatar is in a very powerful political position in world football. At present, um, Alexander Sheffering, the president of UEFA, basically owes them a favour because they managed to bring down the Super League, or at least stall the Super League, which was Florentino Perez's pet project. So um, getting involved in, in approaching a player the, the wrong way, um, you could see why Madrid want to avoid that in, the, in this circumstance. Um, there has been, I'm told, no official response from PSG as yet. Madrid are waiting for that and waiting to see if they get the permission to speak to Mbappe and take it forward. Um, there's been some interesting responses from people close to the owner of, of PSG. So his brother, uh, the um, second in line to the throne of Qatar, has been on social media um, making various uh, amusing posts such as 150 days and nothing. Now they want to pay 160 million. This is a trap. Um, and then subsequent to that, a little later, he said, if you agree to the specified price, contact us or complete the season with the golfer. I wonder who they could be referring to there. He has also um, gone on his Instagram uh, account and posted an image of Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo together in Paris Saint-Germain strips um, with a caption of maybe, um, perhaps. So he, he certainly seems to be enjoying this process and, and getting a lot of uh, new followers off the back of it. Um, the Ronaldo thing, I think, is, is important here. As you say, uh, his situation at Juventus is becoming extremely uncomfortable for him individually. I, I'm told he's not happy that it's now public knowledge that Juventus want to move him out this summer. Um, Obviously, he was left out of the starting lineup for Juventus' first Serie A game against Udinese at the weekend. Um, the official line was that that was at Cristiano's request. Unofficially, um, 
Max Allegri will tell you that it was his decision not to put Ronaldo in the team. And as we've been reporting on the podcast for months now, Allegri's position is if they can move Ronaldo's salary off the books net, that will allow him to create a better team. Um, and he is open to this move, which is why Ronaldo has been offered to all of the top clubs in European football. And um, as yet does not seem to have a definite taker. Uh, there, there are differences of opinion on where it stands. If you talk to certain people, they will say there are possibilities at, for example, Manchester City, who have been offered Ronaldo as an alternative if they can't get Harry Kane done. If you talk to other sources, they will say that Manchester City said, no, thank you. Um, I think Ronaldo has been placed in a position that he never expected to be in. He's still one of the top players in the world, still highly effective. Um, in normal circumstances, if he was being offered around the top clubs because Juventus had decided they wanted his, his wage moved off their wage bill, I think there would be a taker um, and, a, and a rapid taker. But because of the state of the market, he is entering the final week of the window with him being discussed as a you know an unwanted player, a player who's, uh, who's being pushed around like someone would be who's who hadn't played many games and hadn't performed for his uh, for for a mid-table Premier League club and and this is something he did not expect to happen in his career and I think is causing a lot of tension and friction here um what is available to PSG obviously is the opportunity to take that 160 million euros um they do lose Kylian Mbappe but they can respond by signing Cristiano Ronaldo and pairing Ronaldo and Messi in, um, as we described it a few weeks ago, their Power Rangers team. Um, it's an incredible prospect. I think it's something that clearly has a degree of appeal to the Qatar royal family. I think if it was presented in a way where they didn't have to lose Mbappe, it would be extremely appealing to them um, but what you have is a very open final week of the market with you know really significant names uh, in play and uh, and the possibility of these transfer fees if 160 million is paid I think and people I'm talking to are expecting PSG to respond maybe not just with one big signing but two big signings as we mentioned on the last podcast Paul Pogba is an option for them in those circumstances. If they do that, then I'm, I think you will see Manchester United bring a new midfielder in. There are a number of, of uh, individuals they're looking at at present. Um, look, there's, there's a lot of money in play um, and a lot of big decisions to be made. And, and I think the possibility of a very dramatic end to this, this transfer window. As we said, it's highly unusual when a member, a senior member of the Qatari royal family goes rogue, unlike, of course, the UK's royal family. They go rogue all the time. Um, Richarlison, Duncan, is someone who is being also considered by PSG as a replacement for Mbappe. Obviously, similar age, uh, a point striker, uh, Whereas Ronaldo, of course, has played as a striker, but also plays on the wide and comes in the left. Is there a chance that he could uh, be someone who PSG would go for? Look, 
Um, again, this is a story we did a long time ago in the podcast. Everton went into this transfer window uh, with the position of if they received significant offers for Richarlison or Dominic Calvert-Lewin, they would seriously consider them for different reasons. But they felt that this might be the top of the market for those two players. Um, they need to change their salary structure. Um, so entering the window... They had a stance where big offer for Richarlison, uh, we will probably take that. Don't think they want to be doing that in the last week, but the circumstances are what they are. What I can tell you is that Kia Jurabshin has told Everton he has a club who want to sign Richarlison. Uh, so told them to prepare for that offer um, and prepare to secure a replacement. Um, whether he can get that deal through or not, um, we will see. I, he is someone who's accomplished at, at presenting these kind of um, opportunities and, and trying to create these kind of opportunities for these players. And and obviously, Richarlison would be a much cheaper option um, for PSG than Ronaldo if they decide to, to go down that route. You could argue that might be better from a team building point of view. Um, whatever happens, they're going to have a huge number of star names in that squad. And and one of the big questions about PSG is can you pair all, all the Power Rangers in one team and get a, get a, a working system that, uh, that brings the, the, the Champions League finally to Qatar? Um, so he, he is in play. Um, and it is an option open to PSG, but uh, PSG have big decisions to make. Um, I think they would rather not have had that 160 million offer uh, from Mbappe. I think their their preference in all of this has been to keep the player against as well and, uh, and try and persuade them in the remaining months they have to sign a new contract for the club. Um, Madrid's, as we've just discussed, Madrid's bid, is tactical and strategic and um, timed carefully uh, to to try and get what Florentino Perez wants and try and get what Kylian Mbappe wants, which is for him to switch to that club immediately for this window and, uh, and build around them going forward. Again, another story we did not that long ago. Um, if they get Mbappe in, the, the idea is to pair him with Erling Haaland next summer um, once the release clause of Borussia Dortmund comes into play and they can uh, reduce the transfer fee on that transaction. Well, as you know, Duncan, and I'm sure our listeners do as well, we always refer to um, the Power Celtics in the McGarry household uh, for obvious reasons. Um, speaking of... Uh, Veteran strikers, in the case of Ronaldo, uh, we can tell you that it's our understanding that Manchester City uh, are becoming frustrated by the stalemate, which continues in their pursuit of Harry Kane, uh, the Tottenham uh, player and England captain. Uh, they have been told that Kane, of course, wants to leave and go to Manchester City, but that Daniel Levy continues to block 
even just communication, never mind uh, the offers which City have made for their star striker. And in doing so, and this is something, again, that we spoke about on the podcast uh, a week ago, um, Robert Lewandowski's uh, decision that he would like to seek a new challenge in football has interested Manchester City. Of course, Pep Guardiola worked with Lewandowski at Bayern Munich for three years. Guardiola did say that uh, Lewandowski, he expected, would finish his career at Bayern Munich. But then he said that about Messi and Barcelona as well. And look what happened there. Um, There's still, even with people close to the deal, remains uh, the expectation that Lewandowski is hopeful that the leverage of him wanting to leave will lead Bayern to offer him a lucrative contract extension. However... Manchester City are exploring the uh, possibility and the option of Lewandowski because Guardiola is determined to recruit a proven goal scorer and someone who will give them an edge in terms of point strike uh, rather than depending on false nine or Gabriel Jesus to lead the line for City this season as they look once again to win the Premier League but of course more importantly uh, deliver the Champions League to Abu Dhabi. Uh, this does seem like a sensible or logical move, Duncan, um, with regards to um, t- taking Lewandowski. Uh, and even though he's 32 years old, he had one of his best seasons uh, last year at Bayern Munich in terms of goals scored and assists. And of course, the Harry Kane uh, saga, we have to call it, is dragging on. As I said, we're now just six days away from the end of the window. And if it can't be done, it can't be done. So having a plan B in place, uh, albeit for a, a, a much older, well, four years older striker than Kane, uh, it doesn't seem to me to be such a bad idea. Uh, look at the impact Edson Cavani has had at Manchester United, even playing uh, as a not quite, you know, a bit part player, but certainly someone who didn't play every game or start every game. And so Lewandowski, I think, would be a reasonable option for Manchester City, uh, or more than reasonable, really, because his playing style would certainly suit um, the Premier League as much as anything. Yeah, um, he's an elite striker and they're looking for an elite striker uh, to add to their squad. The money is obviously available. Um, they're prepared to pay over a hundred million pounds for for Harry Kane and and put him on a on a huge contract there. So, so the resources are are available to do it if they can persuade Lewandowski to come. Um, I think that's the difficult part, as as you've reported all along in this the. The, the driving force in making Lewandowski available to Manchester City and other top English clubs is to try and get that improved contract at Bayern Munich. And that would be the the logical um, pursuit in his career to carry on at Munich and, and be better rewarded there. Um, there is, as Guardiola has said, um, an obligation on the part of the owners to always try and improve the squad and get better and achieve more. Um, we know he wants 
a striker. Um, we know he wants to to get the, the monkey of not winning the Champions League um, since he had Lionel Messi and his his team off his back, and uh, and having a stronger squad, even if it involves signing someone over the age of thirty, um, which City very rarely do, um, would be an answer that would work for him. And from Lewandowski's perspective, yes, you get that opportunity to test yourself in the Premier League. I think you're right. It's it's a league you would expect him to adapt easily to. And you also have the opportunity to um, to end up on, a, on an Andy Scott statue of you riding a Kelpie alongside Sergio Aguero, Vincent Company and David Silva. So I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure Munich can offer that. Uh, lovely, obscure reference to Andy Scott there. Uh, very good. Uh, if, if you don't know, it's Scott who has uh, sculpted both Vincent Company and David Silva statues, which will be unveiled this weekend outside uh, of the stadium. Um, so where do you want your statue, Robert Lewandowski? Maybe we'll put one up, Duncan, before evening arrives. Um, that would be funny. <laughs> Look, the city have a lot of business still to do in this window, regardless of the of the striker. Um, we've seen Guardiola talk about having players who are unhappy and want out, and uh, and that they've been told they can leave if someone comes up with the right offer. Um, if that does get triggered uh, by by any club who's you know you're looking at, at blue chip players here in um, Riyad Mahrez um, Bernardo Silva who who Guardiola has publicly said wants out he's named them name checked them directly I think because he had that agreement that we reported months ago um, with Bernardo last summer that uh, that he stay one more year and he would be allowed to leave this summer but if, if those players a medical reports another one I think who's probably unlikely to leave because they're, they're looking at a 60 million fee for him but uh, if they go then there'll be work that required to repair the holes in the squad um, the latest with Bernardo Silva is that Milan are trying to put together a deal um, to get him out of City and get him to that new uh, living environment and playing environment that he's looking for um, it's not simply the case that he wants to leave England he's told friends that uh, were he to move to London for example to Tottenham um, who he has been offered to as part of the Harry Kane deal that would be of interest to him um, but Milan I'm told is something that he'd be interested in doing if they can present a deal that satisfies Manchester City financially and um, I, I'm actually fascinated to see where City go with that because it's now public knowledge that they have an agreement with the player that he should um, be allowed to leave. Guardiola said that he wants to leave. Um, it's quite difficult to get a good financial settlement in those circumstances and I'm sure Milan are playing on that um, and will be offering something where there's um, a small uh, initial payment um, possibly a, a loan with a, with an obligatory option to buy down the line um, because they know they have leverage there and because they know the player has leverage there. We're going to talk Chelsea as well, Duncan, who have been active in this market, although not as much as Arsenal, um, certainly in terms of uh, turnover of players. Uh, it, it intrigues me the fact that when we talk about 
City getting to the within the last week the window exploring other options to Harry Kane because they can't get the striker they wanted Um, there's also uh, an interesting uh, parallel to to draw with Chelsea who as we know uh, were in pursuit of Erling Haaland Roman Abramovich signed off the players personal terms as we reported Uh, however it turned out that Dortmund's um, demands in terms of fee and also um, the very, very extravagant um, commission that was being demanded by Mino Raiola and Haaland's father with regards to the transaction uh, eventually killed off that deal. So what did they do? They went straight to Inter Milan and bought uh, Romelu Lukaku, um, who obviously made a very impressive uh, debut last weekend. Now, Chelsea acted very quickly and City have acted quite slowly. Either they, they know or are extremely confident they're going to get Kane or um, they're not handling this particularly well. So uh, it's just it's an, interesting, an interesting parallel with regards to how clubs uh, respond. Although Chelsea have been um, very proactive in terms of their dealings in the last 18 months, two years, uh, both with recruiting players and selling. Yes, although there's an alternative argument here and and it's one that Manchester City have put in the past um, when they haven't bought in a particular position that they intended to buy in because they felt the price for a particular player was too high and it's that they prefer to wait until the right player is available at the right price and they they can afford to be more strategic and long-term in their... uh, recruitment because well that's what they've done and and it's been extremely effective for them in English football they are the dominant force in English football it hasn't worked for them in the Champions League yet but you it's hard to argue with the fact that they've used those unprecedented resources um not in the most efficient way possible but certainly um in an efficient enough way that uh, that they have the best squad and and um and that that patience can can bear fruit and has borne fruit for them in the past so i think it's a little different at the moment because guardiola has this pressure on him to win the champions league and guardiola's pressing to get uh, a right, the correct solution now. But generally, the Abu Dhabi stance has been: we'll spend very big. Um, they, you know, they don't like to talk about it, but the, the reality is that they do. Um, but we'll do it for the right player at the right time. Um, so there is the the possibility that City just say, "Well, if Daniel Levy really isn't going to." weaken his stance and he's really not going to take the money, unprecedented money on offer for for Harry Kane um, in the last week. Uh, Then we just step away from it all and and work with the attacking options we've got, um, which were essentially good enough to win them the league last season. Obviously, they don't have Sergio Aguero, but Aguero didn't play that huge number of games last season and uh, and see if we can win the league again with that squad. I think Chelsea, there's, there's clearly been an urgency on their part to add top players to um, regain the Premier League. That's been driven by Roman Abramovich. 
but they had a scenario where they they tried to take advantage of the of the the pause that other clubs had in the market to get Erling Haaland. Um, as you say, they knew what the wages were. They knew what the, the commission was. Uh, I think pretty much all the top clubs in, in European football knew that because Mino Raiola went on a on a tour of those clubs um, discussing the possibility of moving the player there, what it would take, and, and obviously how much it would cost in terms of agent's fee and, and salary. That's very standard for Raiola and very standard in, in the transfer market. They tried to make it happen. It didn't happen because um, Dortmund did not want to sell in this window. And as, as we've told you, that Erling Haaland's preference is to move to Real Madrid. And Madrid believe they have an agreement in place uh, to get that done next summer. But Chelsea had the possibility of a very strong alternative Um as people close to Romelu Lukaku put it, um, they, they went for the bond investment, which was older player, but guaranteed performance um, at Premier League level, knows the country already, um, knows the league already, uh, has developed as a player during his time at Manchester United and, and Inter. Uh, so you see Lukaku talking about how he learned to play with his back to goal. Once he learned to play with his back to goal, he, he became a much broader player who, who not only scored goals, but created goals for his teammates. And, and we saw that at the weekend. So they were kind of in a in a better position because they had two top players, either of whom would suit their system to go for. And one of those they knew they could definitely get because Inter wanted to sell. Um, they are now trying to get a centre back in. Um, something we, we told you about several weeks ago, they have a deal in place with Jules Kunde of Sevilla. Personal terms all have been agreed uh, since then. They initially offered Kurt Zuma to Sevilla as part of that deal and Zuma uh, did not want to, to move there. Um, they are in the process of getting Zuma to join West Ham United. I think Ian, you have information on that being very close. Um, once that is done, I'm told that the, the deal is in place with Sevilla. Um, which should be in an initial 55 million euros with bonuses on top taking the money they get from West Ham United uh, and putting it into that transaction and, and getting themselves what should be a clear upgrade in defence as well as the, the clear upgrade they've already secured at centre forward. Indeed, Duncan. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, uh, Big Tam, as he's known here on the Transfer Window podcast, uh, a good friend of ours, uh, is very keen to pair uh, Kunde uh, with Anthony Rudiger and Thiago Silva if it's a three. Um, and Kurt Zuma, the sticking point on the West Ham transfer has been not the fee, which is going to be agreed at around £26 million plus potential add-ons, but Zuma's personal terms and uh, proving herself to be a very canny operator in the market. Marina Granovskaya, who controls transfers at Chelsea, uh, has um, taken the opportunity and indeed the, um, let's just say she has uh, decided that if uh, Zuma needs to um, extend the money he is being paid at West Ham, that Chelsea can facilitate part of his demands by paying him uh, some compensation. 
on his current contract in forms of a payoff, uh, one which we understand one instalment will come uh, five days after he signs for West Ham United, uh, and then another one next summer at exactly the same date in order to ensure the smooth transition of Zuma's move to West Ham and, of course, in turn, uh, receiving the fee from West Ham, which will see Chelsea at the moment potentially uh, breaking even or maybe even going into profit in this particular market, despite spending just under £100 million on uh, Romelu Lukaku. Uh, That would obviously uh, be a different balance in terms of their balance sheet uh, with Jules Kunde's arrival. However, when you look at other clubs and the spending that they have done uh, without necessarily having made the sales that Chelsea have, then that would be good business for the West London club. So look out for that. Uh, obviously, as we move into this final week of the window, uh, we do expect things to get a little bit frantic uh, because for some reason, clubs believe that they're going to get cheaper deals when in actual fact, they just get more expensive. But that is the nature of football. Speaking of players who are unwanted and are being disposed of, Duncan, um, I think a quite a surprising one here. Uh, Atletico Madrid's Sal Nogues is being effectively marketed quite aggressively around European clubs with regards to getting out of uh, Atleti. And uh, he is being looked at by Manchester United. But also there's... Uh, as you've mentioned previously on the pod, Bernardo Silva and Donny van der Beek, whose agent has said, no, he wants to stay at United and fight for his place. But there's a little bit of a kind of mini merry-go-round in these players, which is going on. And Niguez looks like he he wants to come to the Premier League, but uh, as yet, it's not certain where he will end up. Yeah, he was offered to Manchester City in exchange for Bernardo Silva. That's something Manchester City turned down earlier in, in the window. Um, has an incredible record and, and was regarded as one of the top midfielders in Spain, but not favoured by Diego Simeone at present, um, being shifted around the team into different places on a very high salary. So it's just a, a pragmatic move by Atletico to shift a player of, of value off their wage book um, and uh, and get him a new home. And, and there, so you have this scenario now where we're down to the last week and the, the proposition is you can take the player on loan with an option to buy. Um, and he's being offered to clubs like Manchester United who are looking to improve in central midfield but have this kind of question mark over what happens with Paul Pogba. Um, As you reported some time ago, they have offered an improved contract to Pogba and Pogba has not responded to that. Um, So they do not know whether they retain a player who's now become a regular starter, an important part of Ligon or Solskjaer's attacking strategy, um, or whether they lose him now, uh, or whether they, they lose him for nothing in a year's time, or whether they can retain him long term. We mentioned already in this podcast that there is PSG's interest in the player um, and the possibility that PSG suddenly have a lot of money coming in in the final week because of Mbappe and um, a need 
to make a statement to their supporters by making more significant transfers because they've lost Mbappe against their will. Um, Sal would be the experienced uh, option as a replacement. They are, United are looking at other individuals. I'm told that they have accelerated their interest in Eduardo Camavinga over the last week. Um, as we told you uh, a couple of weeks ago, they have had uh, contact with Aurelian Tumani's um, representatives at AS Monaco um, to find out what uh, it would cost to, to bring him there. Um, and you have with United this position of Donny van de Beek, which, which is kind of a bizarre one in that he is clearly not fancied by Uligan or Solskjaer, despite Solskjaer bringing him into the club um, at significant expense last summer. Um, the game against Southampton, which was uh, very much a, a Solskjaer-type Manchester United performance after comprehensively beating Leeds United, they, uh, they struggle um, to a team you would expect them to get a result against and, and end up with a, with a draw there. Um, van de Beek on the bench, as he has been for most of his time at Manchester United, the 20th time under Solskjaer that he's been on the bench and not seen any play at all, despite the fact United clearly needed a variation in their in their attacking system towards the end of that game. Um, we told you a couple of months ago that Van de Beek's position was that he wanted to stay and fight and prove himself in the team. Um, Solskjaer was asked about him not playing on uh, against Southampton and, and said Donny will be important for us. And uh, Van de Beek's agent, um, interviewed in the, the Dutch press, has said uh, everyone within the club knows that Donny cannot have another season like last year. Clarity has been provided about his role. We are happy with that. Um, that the coach has now provided clarity in the English press. And, and here's the, the key line from Albers. And I assume that Donny will play a lot in one of the positions in midfield in the coming period. So a bit of pressure from Van de Beek's camp that he actually gets game time at a point where we're all looking and we know that Manchester United wants another central midfielder and those in the market know there's a possibility Paul Pogba leaves um, either now or in 12 months time and we know they're looking at alternative options this is Van de Beek basically saying to Solskjaer I'm here give me some game time and remember I used to play in, as a number six and I've played as a number eight I don't have to be used in one of those positions that Bruno and uh, and uh, and Paul Pogba are using um, the solutions in the camp already. I thought it was interesting against Southampton that Pogba plays on the left side of the three um, attacking midfielders and also uh, played quite well, but there was a negative in that we saw the limitations of Fred, McTominay, um, in central midfield and Matic as well, uh, all of whom play defensively or that's their, um, certainly their in instinct is to play defensively. Uh, and therefore you thought that Van de Beek 
in that two with Fernandez would be an obvious thing uh, for Solskjaer to do if Pogba is going to be shifted to the wide position where of course he had so much success at Juventus over his four years there um just very quickly as well, um, Duncan, uh, you've got some information that uh, Manchester United are, along with Liverpool and Arsenal, have been looking at uh, Eve Basuma at Brighton. Yeah, Ian, that, that's correct. Um, along with those, those players we mentioned as options for Manchester United's midfield, Basuma is also being looked at by them. Um, they know Basuma has two years left of contract at Brighton and is keen to move to a higher status club, keen to play um, European football. Um, my information is that the, there are inquiries um, from Liverpool, United and Arsenal um, as to how much it would cost to sign him. Now, he has uh, improved significantly during his time at Brighton and I think what's quite important here is that his statistics as a midfielder are exceptionally good and we know that clubs in particular Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal are also heavy on this, use analytics as as a filter to decide which players to pursue. You can see why his game would um, fit Liverpool's uh, set up under Klopp and, and also why he would uh, would work in one of those two holding midfield roles that, uh, that Solskjaer uh, likes to use in virtually every game these days and Solskjaer talks about playing a back six and, and Pusuma I think would be a, a good fit to that back six which of course he's um, uh, improved once again by bringing Varane in um, something that Gary Neville doesn't seem to have noticed because now Gary Neville's response to that 1-1 uh, draw at Southampton is uh, forget about the fact that they've signed Jaden Sancho for a huge fee um, and in the right wing slot, forget about the fact they sound another central defender, one of the top ones in, in world football for the centre back slot. What needs to happen to allow my mate Ollie to to win a title is that they go and uh, take Harry Kane from Tottenham for 150 million um, because he's available, and, and Manchester United should be doing that. I think with Basuma. It's become a bit more complicated for the club's bidding for him because Brighton are cash rich at the moment after the, the sale of Ben White and um, they do not need to take the money in order to uh, reinvest it in the areas uh, that they are targeting, which are centre forward and left back. Um, and I understand that they've opened discussions with Busuma about improving his salary and extending his contract with the idea of retaining him for at least one more season. In Scotland, in the SPFL, there's also a lot of movement in the market. Celtic uh, seem to be dithering on um, their pursuit of a new striker as uh, Duncan Odson-Edward, his suitors are hovering around looking to complete that deal, but Celtic seem to be desperate to secure a replacement before selling Edward, who has uh, options in the Premier League. Um, You've got news in terms of the mechanics, if you like, of what's happening at Parkhead and uh, what may happen in the next few days. Yeah, the 
I think Edward is central to this because um, Celtic have been trying to sell Edward for for some time now. Um, they have struggled uh, for a couple of reasons. One, they want an extremely high transfer fee for a player who's got one year left of contract and a player who's threatening now to stay an extra year at the club and leave on as a free agent in a year's time. Um, they want over £20 million for him. Secondly, Edouard is being very fussy about his destination. Um, he's had approaches from Leicester City and Arsenal um, heading into this window. Um, he feels he deserves to be at a top-end club if he moves to England. Um, at present, the three clubs who've been pushing hardest to get him in the Premier League are Brighton, Crystal Palace and West Ham United, which is not the status he was looking for. He's also asking for a salary of £85,000 per week, um, which would be achievable at some of those clubs. I think it's hard at a club like Brighton because it would make him the, the by some margin the highest paid player at the club. Um, but complicates the deal obviously because it makes a, a much bigger transaction um, Celtic want to get that done and they've been expecting to get that done and they've been uh, telling uh, their targets to replace Edward that he will be leaving the club but it's you know less than a week left and and it's not been done um, one of those targets something we we revealed exclusively on the podcast last week um, Jorgis Yakumakis um, has gone through an interesting process with Celtic. Um, they had an agreement with Venlo, his current club, um, to sell at two and a half million euros plus a, a significant sell-on clause. Um, it's a player who was the top scorer in the Ardevies last season by, by quite a margin. Um, Werder Bremen, another club trying to take Yakimakis to, to lead their attack, also agreed uh, with Venlo at that price um, and subsequently improved their offer to Venlo in order to, to try and push the Dutch club to get Yakimakis to them because they, they are in Bundesliga 2 um, and see him as a player who can get them promoted back into the top division in Germany. Um, at the weekend, the Greek rejected Werder Bremen's offer, um, which was on salary terms superior, significantly superior to Celtics, rejected it on the basis that um, he didn't feel it was the right club to move to. Celtic then seemed to think that they they had um, the deal secured. They expected the player to come and take a medical, actually in Belgium today, uh, ahead of a deal being um, completed but uh, have as yet failed to significantly improve their offer to the extent that Yakimakis would accept that um, they've yet to reach the money that Ferdo Bremen um, were prepared to offer and, and I'm told have been working on the basis that look we are the bigger club we are the better platform if you really want to play for us you have to take the money at present it looks like leave it because the the information is that they're going to move on to another target um, a, most likely someone within the Scottish League with Kevin Nisbet at Hibernian um, being a player that they have an interest in um, 
um, from Yakimakis's end, he has now been approached um, from the Turkish league. And as we uh, reported from the start, he has a, a very substantial offer from Qatar um, worth a multiple of what Celtic have been prepared to, to pay him. Um, there would be an opportunity if uh, Celtic want to persuade the player in person. They've yet to meet him in person because um, he's in the Netherlands and they play in their Europa League um, qualifying playoff game uh, tomorrow. So um, there is a chance that they swing uh, back into the pursuit of Yakimakis, but at the moment they don't seem to have a striker secured uh, for this season, um, a new starting striker, and they don't seem to have a deal in place to sell uh, a very expensive investment who wants out this season. Um, so they are another club who look likely to have a very busy final few days in this market. Well, before we get to hero and villain section for this week on the Transfer Window podcast, we're going to round up some news and, and Spurs have, um, despite the fact they've not sold Harry Kane yet, Duncan, are doing some quite clever business at rather kind of economical prices. And also Southampton uh, are improving their squad in terms of recruitment as well. Yeah, I, I think the latest deal that Tottenham have put in place is the smartest of all the all the deals that the Fabio Paratici's been working on this summer. I mean, that's question marks about the fees they've paid for Brian Hill and uh, Christian Romero um, from from people who are who are paid to assess talent and put prices on them. But um, the people I'm speaking to about Papi Matar Sar, um, the Mets midfielder that Tottenham have uh, moved to put a deal in place for um, for around 15 million euros. There's uh, <laughs> there's a, 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 more than a hint of regret that their clubs aren't in positions to to sign that player who um, they think is going to be a a major player in European football going forward, and that uh, Tottenham's ability to secure him. Um, to do it, take advantage of Mets requiring money at the end of the transfer window. I think they're going to loan uh, SAR back to Mets for a season. But um, look, the, the, he's considered by by certain people to be a superior talent to Kamavinga, for example, um, who's had a lot more publicity. Um, so this one from Tottenham. Uh, looks like a very clever piece of business. They're also trying to get Adama Traore um, on a low-cost deal, um, a loan with a, when a, an option to buy, something we flagged up on the podcast a few weeks ago that, um, that you know, Espirito Santo um, wants to work with Adama again, knew that Adama was looking for a move and knew that uh, the Wolves were open to selling him. Um, I think their offers way below what Wolves want for the player at present but they do have that uh, advantage of of, uh, of, a, of a player coach relationship um, that they're trying to exploit to get Adama in to, to strengthen their squad um, before the window closes. And Southampton looking to recruit uh, a new centre back? Yeah, a replacement for Yannick Vestergaard um, this deal I'm told is done now. I wasn't announced when we, we started recording the podcast. don't know if it's been announced yet, but um, Lianco, Brazilian centre-back, who they are signing for 
from Torino for a fee of up to 10 million euros, including performance-related bonuses. He's a Brazil under-23 international who thinks had a difficult season at Torino. Torino were, were keen to sell him and uh, Southampton had a, a hole to, to fill in their defence because of Festergaard's um, sale to Leicester City. So, uh, Transfer Podcast community, uh, we will, of course, continue to bring you uh, all the news before it becomes news and keep you up to date as well with the progress of the deals we've already reported to you. But as this is the first podcast of the week, we moved to hero and villain. And Duncan, I'm going to hand over you to you to make a villain of someone. And of course, in doing so, make them nefarious and notorious. Um. There's a few options here. I, w- I was tempted to go for um, Burnley's ginger tyrant, Sean Dyche, uh, in his defence of the... Old the, tyrant, surely, not not ginger. <laughs> in his defence of the new uh, Premier League, um, we, we let our players kick each other rule um, and uh, attack on, on Jurgen Klopp um, for criticising the refereeing in, in the, the game against Burnley. Um, I have, I think, a good deal of sympathy with Klopp on this one and also with um, Uli Gunnar Solskjaer on this one. Uh, Solskjaer complained that uh, Bruno Fernandes had been fouled in the build-up to Southampton's goal. Uh, I think he's correct. I think if you watch that uh, tackle um, from Jack Stevens on um, on Fernandes, Stevens clearly goes through uh, the back of Fernandez goes hip, his 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 leg into Fernandez's hip, and uh, and then takes the ball. And I don't think even under the the new lenient interpretation that the Premier League is is very happy with having introduced to English football, in which people like Alan Shearer are uh, are applauding. Um, I don't think even under the, that interpretation you can say that that's not foul when you go through the back of a player with that degree of force before taking the ball um, but I'm going to go for Manchester United the Manchester United official um, social media account um, for celebrating their uh, 1-1 draw at Southampton um, when very few Manchester United fans were celebrating that 1-1 draw and lauding it for achieving a Premier League record equaling 27th away game without defeat I mean I, I, their ability to find Light in uh, relative darkness is impressive, but uh, really, um, I think there's some times when you should just stay quiet on these matters and accept that it wasn't a good performance or a good day for United. And uh, those are the kind of games that have to be turned into victories if you're going to win the Premier League, which should be the target this season. Is there a trophy for that, Duncan? Um, failing to win the Premier League well obviously <laughs> oh, no for, for, for 27 away games without defeat I mean as we know given Liverpool's fans claims that they should have got a trophy for coming second <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe that's part of it's part of a campaign to petition for a trophy for should they uh, they break uh, Arsenal's record in, in the next Premier League away game and, and then we can say that the the Norwegian maestro has finally brought silverware back to Old Trafford after that long, long, long wait. 
A good one, my hero for uh, the last few days in football is um, not Mikel Antonio, who surpassed Paolo Di Canio as West Ham's top scorer ever in the Premier League, but for his two-dimensional doppelganger, who he went and hugged in the celebration, bringing about much hilarity as well as admiration for the novelty uh, and originality of the celebration. Uh, clearly staged, but that's not the point really, is it? But it was certainly... Uh, very amusing but uh, Antonio himself we should certainly give credit for for two goals where for a big man he had a very very fine touch on both and uh, someone who clearly despite his problems with injury in the last two seasons um, is when he's fit one of the most effective strikers in England this has been the Transfer Window Podcast, the first of the week. We'll be back with you later in the week. Please uh, engage with us on our media platforms. We are at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook and Twitter. Duncan is on at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. Uh, also, we're on YouTube. Just search for the name of the pod. 